Welcome to River Life Podcasts. We're a church family embracing the Father's presence, releasing empowered people to declare and demonstrate Christ's kingdom. We trust that God would use what you hear today to bless and grow you so that you would be a blessing to those around you. For more information about River Life Baptist Church, go to riverlifechurch.org.au or find us on social media. Just recently I got a new prescription. I wear contact lenses and I've got this new prescription and um, some of you that uh, become evident to why some of you know this in a moment, but it's this really weird thing. Uh, I've got, I had a birthday last week and I feel like I'm getting older. And um, I've got this weird thing where my right eye is my distance eye. And so you're all wonderfully in focus. And my left eye is my reading eye. But I haven't been able to get used to it, and so sometimes I'll be walking around and just kind of looking like I'm winking at people, which is why I've explained to some of you that I have this new prescription. Um, so I'm kind of like, it's really cool because it's supposed to just close my, whichever distance I want to look at, I close the other one, I focus, and then my brain does this awesome thing where it makes me be able to see clearly, which is pretty impressive, right, that the brain does this. I was impressed, maybe that's just me, I'm a little simple. <laughs> Uh, but hence why I'm not always winking at you if you're a long way away. I'm just trying to focus on you and see if I recognize you. Um, but the other thing that's been really weird is that as I've been getting used to it, I forget. And so I'll be like sitting in the office and I'll look over and I'm like, oh, my left eye is just really fuzzy. There's something wrong with it. I'll rub it till it's really sore and keep having this really sore left eye because I keep forgetting where my focus is. And that's what the Lord prompted me to talk to us a little bit about today. This is a smooth segue. It's like that. But that's kind of what's been on my heart, is that in this crazy season we find ourselves in, where's our focus supposed to be? Where are we supposed to to put our focus? Because for me, I can have two. In fact, if I look at my heart, I can probably have lots. I can emphasize all sorts of things. I can fix my attention on all sorts of stuff. And what I want us to think about this morning as we begin is where is our focus? Where are we focusing our attention? Because where we focus starts to prepare us for what we're ready to respond to. And that, I think, is the challenge that sits before us. Because we've been talking about this year about setting sail, about all these things we feel the Lord has put before us as a community. But are we ready to respond? Have we been focusing on the right things? You know, if we're looking at setting our sails to the wind of the Lord, if we're looking at pastoring our city, like, what does that even mean as we, as we look to meet the needs of our community, as we start to share generously, seeing God's power heal bodies, as we want to release people who carry the passion and the, the revival heart of God to the nations around us, as we, as we want to really invest into the things that God is bringing to us in this time. There's so much opportunity. There's so much potential. There's so much going on that it can kind of sometimes be a little overwhelming. We don't even know where to start, maybe. Maybe we don't know what our part to play in all of this is. Uh, You know, are we valuable? Are we just here to make up the numbers? Do I just need to fill a roster because that's what we need right now? Do we have something unique to do? Becomes the challenge, I think. The question I wrestle with, and maybe you do too, is that each day, whether I'm at work, whether I'm at home, whether I'm serving God, does it make a difference to the real things of life, to the eternal things of life? Does my life 
make a difference in God's kingdom. Because I think if we, if, we, if we know Jesus, then maybe underneath all of the other stuff, that's kind of the core question that maybe we wrestle with. Does my life actually carry any meaning? How does my life contribute to the things of God? Solomon, we think, wrote Ecclesiastes. He writes this. He says, he's made, he, God, has made everything beautiful in its time. And he's put eternity into man's heart. Yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. We, we have this desire for the things that go beyond us, for our life to have meaning, for uh, us to leave a legacy, to contribute to something valuable. Yet we don't often know what that looks like. It's hard to focus, to see what those things are. That can be a challenge, right? What I think God wants us to know in these times is that when we focus on him, we start to find our worth. We start to find our value and our place that we're not just making up the numbers. Paul, in one of his letters, the first letter he wrote to the Corinthians, he paints this picture of us as the body, which many of us would be familiar with, that all the multitude of parts that make up the human body, he uses that as the metaphor, as the picture of the body of Christ, the church. And that, you know, we can get along when there's parts missing, but we work best when every part is present and doing its thing. See, everyone belongs, everyone matters, everyone has a part to play. And when we think that we don't, we believe a lie. And one of the beautiful things of God is that he, he entrusts us with permission to not believe lies anymore. So one of the things I want us to to wrestle with this morning is what are the lies we're believing about God? Because when we believe lies about God, it changes how we see the world. And it changes how we see us. And it changes how we see our value and our worth. And those things impact what God can do. God in his graciousness, in his goodness and in his mercy has made a way for all of these things that are before us. All of the things that are in his kingdom, all the things we see in scripture, all the promises of God that are so rich and powerful that, you know, that, that none should perish, that all will get to hear of who Jesus is and have the chance to respond. All of those amazing things like going and healing the sick and raising the dead and, and casting out demons and, and cleansing people, all of those things, they're all before us, yet the challenge can sometimes be just too big in our perception. How do we connect the dots between who we are, who you are sitting there today, maybe at home on the couch, maybe here in the room? How do we connect the dots between where we are and all this stuff that God has for us? Because I look at my life and that, there's like a chasm between those things. Thankfully, we have all these songs we sing that he you know, bridged the chasm and all that kind of stuff. But what does it look like in practicality? The things that bridge all of those things, it connects all the dots together for me. It's not a what, it's a who. There's a, there's a person who connects all the dots, 
of what we are called to do and what God wants us to do and all of our perceived lack and all of the things that we wrestle with and all that's in God's heart to see his bride, his church, his body see come true. That person is the Holy Spirit. That person is the Holy Spirit. He connects the dots. He is, in fact, the one that Jesus gave to us in order to be about his work. As Pastor Petria said last week, he's the one who grows the fruit. He's the one who draws people to salvation. He's actually the one who heals bodies and sets people free and casts out demons. So today I want us to kind of come around really to this idea, this, this wonderful thing that we have, this gift of intimacy with the Holy Spirit. We have been given a gift, and it's to know God. Knowing God, interesting topic. There's a couple of words in Scripture. There's actually lots of words in Scripture for this idea of knowing, this verb knowing. And there's a couple I wanted to kind of just draw out this morning just to, just to kind of paint the bit of the distinction between what I'm talking about as we journey into knowing God, this, this gift of intimacy that we have. And the first word is a Greek word. Um, I invested into a master, so I need to use it sometimes. It's this Greek word, gnosko. It's an interesting word. It means knowledge, means understanding. It means to, to, to you know, capture something, to understand something. In Mark 12, they use that word, that Jesus is there and they're seeking to arrest him, um, but they feared the people. This is the, the, the um, Pharisees and the scribes and the teachers of the law. For they perceived, they knew that the parable Jesus just told was against them. Now, if you've read the parables, it's usually fairly obvious when Jesus is kind of pointing out who's at fault. They understood. They cognitively processed, yes, Jesus is talking about this. But there's this other word in Scripture, which is translated the same way, to know something. It's a Hebrew word. It's, I think, correctly pronounced yada, but Alex Walker, he's the Hebrew scholar. He'll tell me later if I got it wrong. So if it was wrong, I'll say it right tonight. And it's a different word. It's also translated to know, but in Genesis chapter 4, it's translated in Adam knew Eve, and she gave birth to a son. So you know, there's a difference between perceiving something and then knowing something in that other way. There's gnosko, yeah, I get that concept, and there's yada, and there was a baby. Are you picking up the difference? Some people are picking up the difference. This is the morning service, so probably the kids are in kids' church, so you'll, I won't be too explicit, though, still. Do you gnosko? You, do, you don't yada yet, though. We're in church. But this, and we don't want to stretch words too far, but I just want to paint the picture that, that there's a difference in Scripture between different forms of knowing. And, and for me, this has been a wrestle in my life. That growing up in church... I, I learned a lot. I knew a lot. But I didn't know a lot. I hadn't had the experience of knowing. I just had some information. And they're two different things. They're two different things. And I think for me, 
as we unpack a little bit more, this becomes the difference between I know all the stuff that God has for me. I know all the stuff that he wants to do through his body. I know it. But God wants us to know it. To know it. To know and see fruit. There's a different kind of knowing. So, right now, I'm fairly confident that there's some of you in the room going, oh yeah, I love this stuff. Bring it on. The kind of people who send heart emojis. You know them. And there's probably a good number of people going, oh, kill me now. This is too far, too much. I hate it when they talk about this lovey-dovey stuff. Stick a fork in me, I am done, I am out, I can't stand it. I'll let you decide who's who. But I think, I think this becomes the key and this becomes part of the, 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 the challenge that we have because I truly believe that we can operate out of godly principles that we've learned. And God will bless that. And God will use it. And the kingdom will grow and people will encounter Jesus. But if we jump deep in, if we really grab a hold of knowing God, there's a whole lot more available. Mike Bickle is a pastor and leader, runs the International House of Prayer that have been doing 24-7 prayer and worship for, I think, getting close to 20 years now, maybe more. He's got this beautiful phrase. He says, you know what? Lovers get more work done than workers do. And I think for me that paints the difference really well. I can know stuff. I can get stuff done. But when I know stuff, man, we get stuff done. We see the kingdom break in. We see stuff happen. I mean, Scripture, I think, bears this out. If you're uncomfortable, Scripture can challenge you, not just me. Because Paul, as he's grasping for ways to describe something that has been a mystery, literally he describes it as a mystery in Ephesians, he says, oh, the best illustration I have for this that doesn't even really come close, for Jesus and us working together of, of Christ and the body, is actually like Christ and a bride, it's actually like a husband and wife. This is the best picture we have of what intimacy with God looks like. For some of us, we're going, oh goodness, that's all too much or not enough. But this is the reality that we're trying to grapple with things and, and we've kind of fallen towards our gift of intimacy being about accumulating knowledge when God is saying, I want to experience you as you experience me. I think why this becomes uncomfortable, I could be wrong and if I am wrong, come see me afterwards or send me an email, that's fine. But I think it becomes uncomfortable because we forget that the Holy Spirit's a person, that he can be grieved, that he can be hurt, that we can ignore him and it breaks his heart. And that he has all these things that Jesus planned for him to do in our lives. I mean, this, there's this amazing word for the Holy Spirit in, in John's Gospel called the, the paraclete. It's a good word, it's a hard word to say. 
There's no direct English translation, but there's about 12 or 13 different ways you can translate it. I put them all in the notes if you want to read through them. But there's so many different things that the Holy Spirit wants to do that we don't even have one word to describe it in our language. He wants to comfort us. He wants to counsel us. He wants to help us. He wants to intercede on our behalf. He wants to be our champion. He wants to be our legal advocate when things go pear-shaped. He wants to be all these things for us. And I think the challenge is he can't be those things for us if he's a theory or just knowledge. It's pretty cold comfort if it's just an idea and it doesn't actually bring peace. If what Jesus said, it was better for him to go so that we would have another one to come and we'll go, oh, Jesus, we want to be with you so much. He's like, I am with you because I gave you my spirit. And you go, what a great concept. I'll tick that off. I'm a good Christian and I'm done. And we just walk around our days going, well, if I do these godly principles, I'll be right. Yes, you probably will. But what are we missing? Maybe it's actually because When God gets close, it gets scary. Because it gets real. And because the stuff in my life, I have to actually bring it before him. I have to lay it out. And and maybe, maybe in the laying down of my life, I'm going to have to pick up something different. Maybe it gets scary because we said that one time, that one camp, that one retreat, that one service where the music was high and the lights were low and, the, and it felt like the spirit was moving. I said, I give you my life. I give it to you, all of it, all of it. I lay it down and then three, 10, 20, 50 years later, oh, I'm still holding on to a few bits of it. But when we let him have it all, we've got nothing to be afraid of. Maybe one of the lies that we wrestle with is that we didn't really die and so there's still some stuff that's mine and I just need to give it to him. What is possible when we lay it all before the Lord? Maybe we're just challenged by the fact that it all seems a little bit too hard and overwhelming when we have to do it in our own strength. I'm really bad at some of these things. I'm terrible at healing the sick. A lot of pressure on preaching the gospel. Raising the dead. I'll leave that over there. Thankfully, we have modern medicine. I don't have to cleanse lepers anymore. I'll just donate to that mission that goes and helps with that. But what God is calling us to do, we can't do in our own strength. That's the beauty. Meet the community's needs. I can't do it. My pockets aren't deep enough. My energy isn't deep enough. Pastoring the city. Being a revivalist to the nations. It's like you're speaking Spanish. I don't know what you're talking about. In my strength. And in your strength when the Holy Spirit catches hold of us, what's possible? It starts with intimacy with God. It starts with moving from knowing to knowing. There's another way that um, Scripture paints this concept of intimacy with God, of what 
God wants to do in our lives. And they use this, this word anointing, which is not a particularly familiar word for us today, outside of church circles maybe, but for you know, pretty much the last few thousand years, it's been quite a common word because kings and queens, rulers were anointed. Priests and leaders were anointed, not just in, in Jewish or Christian traditions, but across the world. It was a, it was a thing that, that were part of religious ceremonies. It's something that, that God has appropriated, that he's taken and said, I'm going to use this to explain something to you. But God explains and illustrates his presence in us with this idea of anointing. The kings and queens, when they're, when they're installed as rulers, will be anointed with oil. Actually, not even in the ancient world. In 1953, when Queen Elizabeth II was, was uh, crowned, she was anointed with oil. In fact, they turned the cameras off because it was such an important and private part of the ceremony that they didn't want it televised. But she was anointed with oil, commissioned by the Lord. No, we're not having a Republican <laughs> debate or anything, but just this is how it still happens. It's still important, but God wanted to paint a picture, and he uses it throughout Scripture, that his chosen ones are anointed. And it's actually not that foreign. We use the word for anointing all the time. In the Old Testament, an anointed person was called Mashiach, Messiah. In Greek, they were creoed. They would become Christos, anointed. Christians are anointed ones. That's actually the picture that God wants us to get, that we are actually all anointed by God, who we are marked by his presence. So in the Old Testament, as they were want to do, they did a physical act, which Jesus quite helpfully then started to say, hey, this is a physical representation of something spiritual which is going on. So like the priest was anointed with oil on the, on the earlobe and the thumb and the big toe as it was poured over their head, the New Testament authors start to go, and this is what the Holy Spirit wants to do with you. Like oil on a priest, the Holy Spirit wants to be poured out onto you. This is the picture of the Christian life, this anointed life. There's some references in your notes about where you can go and look it up for the priests and the kings in the Old Testament about how they're anointed, but Psalm 133 paints this beautiful picture of what the anointing looks like. It says, behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It's like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, who's the priest, running down onto the collar of his robes. That's a lot of oil. That's a lot of oil. And that's the psalmist just trying to paint a picture of God's blessing on us. The picture of how God wants to work in us. And through us and on us. So, who are God's anointed ones? Who are God's anointed ones? Everyone. Everyone. Jesus is your Lord. Guess what? You're anointed. Right? And some of you are like, yeah, I am. And some of you are like, really? That sounds terrifying. And some of you are here with people that you love and care for and go, I haven't seen it on them. You know what I mean. In love. Those closest to us know. I'm glad Penny's at home this morning with people, like sick kids and stuff, but she'd be saying, hey, you should be talking about this. But God calls us all because we've all been marked. 
The Holy Spirit dwells in us. Yet, I think there's something a little bit more in, in, in 1 John chapter 2. He writes about this. Verse 20. As he's writing and warning people about the evil one who'll come and the empowering of God to overcome the evil one's work in the world, he says, verse 20, but you have been anointed by the Holy One and you have all knowledge. You know because you've been anointed by the Holy One. It starts to talk about those who deny Christ and those who love Christ and what that looks like in verse 26. He continues, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you, but the anointing that you have received from him abides in you and you have no need for anyone to teach you. His anointing teaches you about everything. And it is true. It is not a lie. Just as it has taught you, abide in him. See, I can inform your mind, but only the Holy Spirit can teach you When you walk out of here, you might know, but only through the Holy Spirit will you know. Right? What's the difference? What's the difference? Well, I think there's this, there's glimpses of it throughout the scriptures. See, the the anointing of God, the Holy Spirit coming upon people to be about specific things in specific ways. We see it even in the life of Jesus in Luke 5. It says, Luke 5, 17, On one of those days as Jesus was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. Like surely Jesus had God with him all the time, right? But Luke wants us to know that in this moment, The power of God was present to heal. God wants to work on us and in us and through us. And the anointing looks like just sometimes he goes above and beyond our base level, our resting heart rate, our our natural selves. And the beautiful thing is sometimes when he does that, we don't even realize he's doing it. But those who receive from him through us, they do realize But it starts and it continues and it is fueled through intimacy with God. That's the foundation and that's the bedrock. When I read these scriptures and more, when I hear stories of what God's doing, those little voices of doubt or skepticism Jealousy creep in. I guarantee you, I'll look and there's a lack of intimacy between me and the Lord. So maybe the lie that we're believing today is not that God doesn't do those things, but that He won't do it through you. And maybe that's because there's a lack of closeness with with God. Because what's going on in your life and the life of those around you? What do they need that you can't do in and of yourself? This great reference in Isaiah 10, verse 27, that talks about the, the power of God that breaks the yoke of the oppressors. It talks about it's the fat that's on his people, the anointing that's on his people. What are the things that are going on in your life and the lives around you that need to be broken? 
that you look at and go, oh, that's hopeless. But God in his word says these crazy things like, I'm going to come and heal all your diseases and I'm going to raise the dead and I'm going to, I'm going to cast out things and I'm going to break off anxiety. I'm going to crush opposition. And he says all those crazy things. I'm like, I don't see that. But what is in your life? He's going, but if you listen to me, if you work with me and if you just move from knowing me to knowing me, then we're going to see those things bow their knee to my name. What if there's an invitation? So what does it look like? How do we get there? We pursue intimacy and we receive his anointing. See, depending on the the background that you come from, maybe it's just always been about knowing God, knowing God. That was my whole life. I want to know God more. I want to know God more. But when he started to show me that he was real, I thought, I don't know if I want to know you. That's a bit much. That's really real and that's really messy and that's uncomfortable. Or maybe we're all about the power of God and we want to see his power poured out on us and we want to see just everything happen and all the stuff. But we have no intimacy. It doesn't matter where we're at today. I truly, firmly believe and I think scripture bears it out that when we pursue intimacy with God, then his anointing flows. We pursue it by prayer and worship, by by meditating upon his word, by resting in him, by knowing him and surrendering to him so that we might know him. That I want to move from Gnosko to Yada that produces fruit. Because in reality, it looks different for every one of us. That's why he uses the body picture. Because we're all different. Because he can't copy me and I can't copy you. Isn't that liberating? Isn't that nice? That I don't have to be the same as as John or Ryan or anyone, or Vanessa or anyone, John Wilson. I don't have to be like anyone else. I just have to be close to God and he'll use me the way he needs to use me. That's liberating. That's a yada moment. How much energy... Do we waste on trying to be like someone else? That that person's already taken. But we need you. He made you. He crafted you, formed you, and called you, and planted you, and is growing you because what you carry, he plans. So we're all unique, but I think there's some some common factors to pursuing intimacy with God and letting his anointing flow that is true for each and every one of us. And it begins, of course, with putting God first. On a list of one. And only one. And no one else. And I I hear you because I hear it in my head too, but I've got responsibilities. I've got a family. Surely they're like at least two, right? Right? And like church is three. Isn't that the good God answer? God, family, church, right? Right? I'm sure we've all given that advice. And it's good advice in practicality. But I think what Jesus is trying to get at in Scripture is that when you seek first the kingdom and this kingdom only, he'll look after all the other stuff. Because he knows that our hearts will be drawn into family and will be drawn into all the human stuff of church. He says, seek first me, my presence, my kingdom where I dwell, and I'm going to help you do all the other stuff. We seek God first. Maybe the lie we believed is we've got to seek family 
of friends or the well-being of our church before we seek God. Repent and stay clean with the Lord. Repentance resets our standing with God. Not going to be perfect. So he gave us the gift of repentance. If we we're going to be perfect as soon as we said yes, we wouldn't need that. 1 John chapter 2, it's my favorite chapter at the moment. Verse 1 Hey, beloved children, don't sin. Good advice. But if you do, don't worry. Jesus has made a way for that to be covered. We're not going to be perfect, but we put him first in our heart's attention towards him and we will fall short, but he has restored us and he empowers us and he brings us back into right standing with him through repentance and then we desire intimacy with him. We've got to pursue it. We've got to want it. We've got to know here that his love will overcome fear so that his love can take up residence in here. Maybe the lie you've believed is he's too scary and you're running away. Maybe you believe that what you've done is too hard, too big to repent of. That maybe you are the one that the cross isn't big enough to cover. Maybe today is just bringing you into that place of opportunity. Ask him. Ask him to come fill you afresh. Invite him in. He's a person. He can be invited. He can be welcomed. Make a place where he's welcome and give him the time and the space to work. So we're going to pray through this. We're going to take some time to do this. That we have this gift of a moment where you came to church so you've got no other plans for at least the next 45 minutes. So this is a gift to you to spend time with him. Really, I think at the baseline, it's a journey of surrender to him. So let's spend some time doing that and see what he wants to do. Because all of the things, all of the promises of God from 2 Corinthians 1, everything that he has for us, it's, it's yes from him when we say our amen, but our amen's got to be an amen. amen. This is amen in my life. It's got to come from knowing him. So I'm going to ask the production team just to to bow the lights, to down the lights a bit. And first, I just want to lead you through a response where you are and then I believe there's an invitation to come forward. But it starts with where you are. And, unless, and hear, me, hear me on this. Unless you have something to go out to, like you're on roster for something uh, or there's anything, please don't use this moment as your checkout moment because I believe the Lord's got something for us if we just stay focused. So I know it might be your habit to leave when worship starts after the message, but just hang with me. Just give me the next five to ten minutes and just see what the Lord might do. So would you just bow your heads? No one else is looking at you. So we go through that process of putting God first on the list of one. And I think that's a process of surrender. So for whatever that looks like in you right now, whatever those things are that are 
vying for God's affection and attention in your life. Maybe it's bills, maybe it's family, maybe it's health, maybe it's friends, maybe it's circumstance, maybe it's fear, maybe it's those things that I listed. Would you just lay them down before him? Your prayers are simple on Jesus. I lay down my family and I put you first. Jesus, I lay down my problems and I put you first. Father God, I lay down my fear and I put you first. Whatever it is, just take a moment to pray that through. As you're doing that, if you know that there's stuff in your life which is unconfessed, which is sin, which is the brokenness of this world that you've acted upon, that you believe, this is a beautiful moment just to repent of those things. Again, to lay those things at Jesus' feet. Say, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for doing these things that dishonor you and break your heart. I put them aside. I turn away from them. And I accept your forgiveness, Lord. Cleanse me. Wash me clean. start to invite him now. Start to say, God, I've laid all these things before you. You said to seek first your kingdom. And Jesus, I'm choosing you. Would, you. would you come and be with me? Maybe your prayer is like David in Psalm 139. Lord, seek, search me, know me, find me. Maybe your prayer is like Paul's from Ephesians, Lord, would you come and fill me with the fullness of who you are? As he meets with you in that place, just respond to him. Maybe it's continual prayers of surrender. Maybe it's prayers of invitation. to pray all together as we respond to him is a simple prayer. I just want you to invite him. It's a simple prayer. It's one of the oldest prayers of the church and it's just simply come Holy Spirit. Would you come Holy Spirit? Would you come? Would you come fill me afresh? I know that you're here, but I want to know that you're here. Surrender my life to you. Come, Holy Spirit. Come fill us afresh today.
Come fill us afresh today. Thanks for listening to this River Life podcast. Make sure you subscribe to keep up to date with all the latest content. If this podcast has raised any questions for you, contact us via church at riverlifechurch.org.au or through Facebook and Instagram. Thanks for listening.